Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Frank Cronin. He studied on a graduate level in education at Harvard and University of Connecticut in leadership at Columbia University and in theology at Regent University and Holy Apostles College and Seminary. He writes regularly for the National Catholic Register and has appeared on EWTN's Journey Home. Today we're going to be talking about his new book. It's called The World According to God. I love the title. And Frank, thanks for joining us today. Oh, pleasure to be here, Deacon. Thanks. Um, so the world according to God, it reminded me, what was the, was it the eighties movie with Robin Williams, the world according to Garp? Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it just seemed like a nice way to twist that title. It was a book by John Irving and, uh, and it kind of got at, from my perspective, uh, what our problem is that we really don't understand how the world works and, and God is our primary way of understanding it. So it seemed to be a good title for the book. Well, I liked it because most of the time it's the world according to whoever you're speaking to. And that's, you know, that in a world of moral relativism, you wonder if we're living in the same world when you're talking to half the people you're talking to. Well, and that's, you're right. That's an inherent problem with relativism. Everybody lives in their own world as if there is no real reality to anything or no way to know it. Now, you have an interesting journey. You know, I kind of you know, was looking up and watched your journey home. I know you were raised kind of nominally Catholic, so became an atheist, then I think got into evangelical church, eventually came back to the Catholic church. How has, how has your journey, um, in your faith journey, really um, helped you when you wrote this book? Well, um, my particular approach, because when, uh, 10 days before I was about to get married, my uh, wife became a born-again Christian, even though she had a background in uh, Orthodox, the Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. And so I almost didn't marry her over that. Uh, it was just <laughs> like, you're bringing God into the middle of this. Uh, and I even told her on her wedding day, I said, look, if this becomes an issue, and I don't want to get in the way of your faith, but if it becomes an issue, I'm out of here in six months. Um, and that was really my attitude, because I guess intuitively I understood uh, bringing God into the middle of things is no small thing, and it can or should have a huge impact. And therefore, I was um, very skeptical and concerned about the nature of our relationship in light of that reality. So, well, and I, I, I understand that thinking too, because you know I came as a nominal Christian before I uh, converted into the Catholic Church, and you know I believe oh, okay. God existed, but it wasn't. I didn't, you know, in my mind you know, it wasn't that big a deal. You know, I couldn't have been more wrong, but it took Mm -hmm. me 10 years of marriage before the the light bulb actually went on for me. So I'm, I tend to be slower than most. And, uh, you know, so I, you know, when I read this title and when I go in through the book, you know, the thing that just kept hitting me topic after topic, and you, you know, whether it's faith or truth or morality or science or all the things you talk about it really struck me that, you know, very few people critically think anymore. You know, they'll watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox, and then they just become, you know, whatever they say, that becomes their reality. And nobody thinks for themselves anymore. Is that something you've found? Well, I, I think uh, people sometimes do think for themselves, but they think for themselves as themselves. And I think one of the things we've lost 
and it's probably taken a few centuries for us to get to the, the kind of abysmal state we're in right now, but people have lost the the rigor and um, of rationality and of deduction and proof. So when you get to God, like you said, you had to think things through. So did I. It took me about uh, five and a half years to, uh, to become uh, an evangelical Christian, and that's because I had to kind of work the problem. Okay, if there is a God, we have to have ways of proving that. And, and that's looking at it from a Catholic standpoint, Thomas Aquinas laid out, you know, five proofs that, that are like very central to the Catholic faith. And the reason they don't have the credibility they once did isn't because they were proven wrong is that we lost sight of reason as a method of proving things. And we've resorted only to physical things that we can prove like with science, which is, Science is really reason applied to the physical reality, but there's a mental reality that's out there as well. If if we use reason in science, then there has to be reason has to exist in other ways, like in mathematics or in deductive reasoning, which brings us back to Aquinas and the fact that he proved the existence of God, as did sort of Aristotle or the existence of divinities of some kind. So, um, you know, it's kind of, I think our, probably our primary modern problem is, is that we've lost sight of the, our ability to access truth beyond mere physical truth. Well, and just being able to think, as you were talking about, and think things through clearly, you know, Cardinal Sarah wrote with the power of silence. I think, you know, to go through this book and to really just think for ourselves, it does require silence. There's so much noise in the world that is spewing lies. And, you know, you even mentioned science, right? What do we see in science now, right? Science has even been hijacked by ideology when it comes to gender ideology or even, you know, COVID at this point, right? Everything becomes political. Mm -hmm. And, And so if we're not thinking for ourselves and saying, wait a minute, this isn't science that we're hearing. This is something that's been hijacked then we're going to be buying this stuff hook, line, and sinker if we're not thinking for our, clearly for ourselves. Correct. Correct. And I mean, all you have another way to frame it up is to understand how we look at science as a certain credibility, even you know pre-COVID at least. And but think of the word philosophy. Most people think of philosophy as a matter of opinion. Your opinion. Well, that wasn't always the case. Um, philosophy and theology were we're wedded together by the Catholic church and you could prove things with them. You know, you wouldn't, it wasn't just a matter of your philosophy is whether your philosophy jived with what what was philosophically and theologically provable and therefore true. And, and so people think that they don't think well, nor do they think rigorously enough, nor do they even value their ability to reason things to conclusions um, other than to to use reason as a way of supporting their already predetermined conclusions, which I think is kind of what you're saying about relativism yeah. and, and people's opinion is, is they just find justification for their views rather than looking through uh, the facts and seeing where the facts actually take them. Well, and you mentioned Aquinas, right? A, ver- a very mm-hmm. sharp, intellectual but what we see in today's world, and, and it was back then too, right? Even in the Enlightenment in different periods of time, sure. you know, the intellectuals who were supposed to be so smart thought, you know, anybody who relied or had a faith was actually, you know, dumb. 
and they were the bright ones, right? They were they were far superior mm-hmm. than any God we could believe in. And it really is. That's what we see in uh, our higher education, right? You, I mean, you went to Columbia University, Harvard, right? What did we just read recently that Harvard uh, hired an atheist to run, to be in charge of the different faith ministries on campus? I mean, it, it, yeah. it's almost like we're living in, you know, the twilight zone. Well, you're right. It, it, you, you almost like it's surprising enough, like you can't believe they could make this up, that this can't be real. But at even my time at Harvard, which was 25 years ago, uh, the divinity school was div- a divinity school in name only. I mean, they really didn't believe anything there or they bought into religious pluralism so much so that that divi- defines away any possibility of truth about God of, of any kind. So. Um, reason, unless it's properly used, can serve many other ends, as as you're kind of pointing out about relativism or even Harvard's approach to uh, faith ministries and so on. To hire an atheist to that just, I mean, that just seems like an oxymoron. <laughs> Nevertheless, it's a reality there. Well, and we just had a professor, I think it was in Portland State, who taught philosophy, just quit because the school was so intent on telling people how to think as opposed to teaching them how to think. Uh, they're really just trying to create robots and send them out there to this liberal ideology out into the world and spew this stuff. And when you really do the critical thinking, and I think that's what's so good about this book, it goes through the different topics and makes you think that, we realize how absurd they're actu- what, the, what they're trying to push on us. Correct. I mean, uh, you know, thinking is important, but you have to learn how to think properly, not just be thinking. And I think right. that's that's kind of a key distinction looking at where we are. I mean, th- these people in these universities have already made conclusions, so they're selling them the modern orthodoxy as warped and distorted as it is. And, and it isn't like they're not thinking many people do think, but it's important to think rationally. I mean, people get into all kinds of errors with thinking as it is, particularly those who are kind of like sophists who are using uh, reason to manipulate and to, uh, to indoctrinate people rather than to teach them how to properly think and then show them, okay, this is what properly thinking people can conclude about things because it's absolutely bulletproof. It's provable beyond the shadow of a doubt with deductive reason. I mean, that's what Aquinas did. He's a, he's a, he's an old school guy, but he's also still very germane nowadays because what he did is he proved it then, and it's still valid now. The only reason is, is that we don't see it that way is we've come to think that that reason is just manipulation and, and only science can give us even some element of truth. And that's just a, a grave and cataclysmic mistake. Well, you know, I guess the worst part about it is people are paying tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars to be brainwashed on garbage when, you know, as you as you point out, right, not only thinking, but thinking critically and thinking rightly. It's like having a well-formed conscience. You just can't say, well, follow your conscience. If it's not well-formed, then you're going to end up in deep troubles. It's the same thing with thinking, I think, is what you're saying, right? Right. Well, and and yes, the, a conscience is a conscience, but it has to be in, informed properly with reason right. and the truths of the church. And the truths of the church are truths. They're not just the church truths. They have 
they've worked this out not only from a faith standpoint but from a factual standpoint that you know that's the the one of the startling realities can be that like not only do i know that gods exist but i can prove it and i can prove it factually and and without exception you you when you hear the case you cannot disagree with this all you can do is deny it it's right there it's so clear and and my case or Aquinas's case, any of us do that, we're proving it with with reason. Now, yes, we can resort and appeal to the scriptures, but primarily it has to be sound, sound, sound logically, philosophically, and and that's what was so great about Aquinas, and in my opinion, that's what's so great about the Catholic Church is they they blend what they call natural uh, natural theology with revealed theology. Natural theology is philosophy. Well, and I think, you know, it's so important to remember that, that, you know, Aquinas did go through logic. And just, you know, if somebody says, well, that's just what the Bible says, you're not going to convince anybody. That's why you have to be a critical thinker and do that. But we live in (laughs) this cancel woke culture, right, so that when you do critically think and speak the truth, the truth, not, Mm -hmm. you know, not people's individual truths, right? They try That's to destroy right. you. They try to cancel you. They try to get... So not only do you have to think critically, be well-educated, you have to be willing to go into this battle because they were going to come hunt you down because they don't like the truth and they can't argue against it, so they end up result, uh, you know, evolving into bullying. Well, and, and well, it is a power play, right? Who's going to be dominant? And if you're not adhering to what's become the warped modern orthodoxy, uh, then you're going to pay, and and that may be necessary. I mean, I was a I was an administrator in public education back in the Northeast uh, for a number of years, and in many ways, th- there were many uh, trials and many sufferings that I had to endure because of that faith, because I was a clear thinker and I could make that case, and I wasn't willing to go quietly. And so, uh, but that's kind of the times we're in. Um, you know, we have to be willing to pick up and carry that cross. We have to be willing to embrace that mission. The the clearer we understand our faith, the, the more capable we are of being uh, truly being the salt and light of, uh, of the earth. And so that's our job. Well, and we are the church militant, right? So we have to think, Correct. we have to fight, we have to do that. If we want to be the church triumphant, it's not going to be sitting on our duffs on a recliner. You know, letting the world, you know, kind of go by and say, I'm you know, afraid to walk out my front door, as you mentioned, even in your re- previous positions. Right. You got to stand up and speak the truth because the world really wants to hear the truth, doesn't it? It may not understand that it does, but it really wants to and needs to. And for those that do critically think and understand the truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth and the light to not share that is almost criminal. Well, it is. I mean, we're responsible for what we know, and I think that was part of the impetus to writing the book is to to get this to people who have an inclination or even a curiosity, even if it's some just an idle curiosity, some way of bringing them along. The, the original uh, circumstance that led to the writing of the book is my local pastor asked me to teach RCIA. I was a new Catholic at that point. Um, but he knew I knew some stuff and asked me to do this. And unfortunately, he didn't have texts for the first five or six months. So I started teaching basically what's in the book. It was a, 
a Catholic worldview, which I had been working on as an evangelical uh, and been teaching on that for a number of years and having become a Catholic, I was able to kind of translate that into something. And what was interesting about it is, is that a lot of the, the sponsors and, and the new people coming in through RCIA were, were more interested in these thoughts than they were, I mean, okay, I get how the sacraments work, but that seemed like they didn't have many questions about that, but they were really curious and interested in how this how this all works and how faith isn't just a matter of will, but it's a matter of fact. And I think that that was part of what uh, caused me eventually to write the whole thing out rather than, you know, just outlining for the group. Well, I think, I, you know, uh, I'm glad you did, because I think it's important to, as a reminder to people that it is the world according to God, not the world according to ourselves. Um, but right. you know, I just want to talk about a couple of the topics like morality, right? A lot of people think morality is, you know, a lot of do's and don'ts. One, you know, basically the church wants to suck the fun out of life and make your life <laughs> miserable. And it, it couldn't be further from the truth, but that's kind of what the world says, right? You're just a prude. You don't understand. Right. Right. And, and, and morality is the, the whole idea is what is the good? What is the truth? And, and there's a certain amount of it we know intuitively in some measure, certainly in more grievous uh, or obvious cases. But but there's a subtlety. This is this is how we become good, how we really manifest what real love is and what real goodness is two people and it isn't so much a matter of giving up things as being transformed and and I, I guess in some measure altering the ratio of good and goodness and selfishness or goodness and evil inside us and changing that over time I mean we we all know that none of us will ever be perfect but it does matter how close we get and how often we get there uh, to to not only us but to all the people our lives touch um, I mean, nobody really has trouble with the idea of love, although they tend to distort with that as well. Love is like the consummate goodness to be thinking of the other, to be behaving in a manner that's edifying to them and to yourself. So uh, for me, I'm, I, you know, morality just goes hand in hand with, with God's very nature, and that's what we're supposed to be inclining to. Well, and when we, we go against God's morality, we think, you know, everything's fine for the moment. And then you end up in this, you know, dark street off the main highway because you, you veered off and you realize how miserable and how wrong we were. So the church, you know, in its infinite wisdom for 2000 years, it doesn't change. Morality is what it is. And whether it's life, marriage, religious liberty, you know, whatever those topics are. They're all for our good, as you mentioned. You also talk about, uh, you know, that faith isn't blind, but materialism and moral relativism are blind. And that's and it's kind of like the screw tape letters, right? The world has twisted that in the opposite direction. Correct. Yeah. I mean, it's just what what you, what you get is if if all you believe in is the matter and energy of the world, well, there's no reality to anything that every, the only you may experience a sense of aesthetics or a sense of goodness or even of love, but really it's just biochemical activity. So they have no way of explaining reason or science in the, in the face of that reality. And so that's, 
that can be a startling sense of things to the average modern person when they read that of like, oh, oh, I see how this might work. But that, it, because we're not accustomed to thinking rigorously, you know, these things can be kind of shocking or put us on our heels a little bit. All these, you know, people coming up with their own truths, which is basically moral relativism, Correct. right? Materialism, you know, it's all about the stuff. It's not about any depth of our thinking or our faith. It, and it really is. It ends up as a bag of nothing. And we think we're, we're so enlightened, right, that we are the generation that are going to crack the code and understand that God doesn't really exist. We know the truth. All we're doing is rehashing all the stuff that's happened over and over again for over 2,000 years. So we really come off more as dummies than anything else because we keep doing the same thing, right? The definition of insanity, you do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. Well, and, and you're right. And, and part of the problem there is, is there's, there's only a limited number of possibilities, right? Either there is a God or there isn't. And what <laughs> is the evidence for each of those? That's, it's just that simple. And it's been that simple and it will ever be that simple. Um, you know, it isn't a question of, well, you, God exists because you believe in it. It's like, no, that's not why I believe in it. It's a matter of fact, not a matter of will or belief. And so if we only have a limited number of choices, which logic dictates, then, you know, then it, the evidence is pretty straightforward. You know, either he is or he isn't. It doesn't matter of my beliefs or whatever. And, and, and that is a, the way to prove that is with evidence. What is the evidence for the existence of God? And that's a pretty crucial question. Well, and, you know, you talk about, you know, either it is or it isn't, right? There are only two choices. Well, the world doesn't like it when we tell them there's only two choices, right? We're <laughs> no, not, there isn't no. male or female anymore, right? It's a scale and we're non-binary. So now there's hundreds of choices and they can change every day. And that's the kind of garbage that the world is selling. And, and I know people, there's people that I like that, you know, are sympathetic to this way of, thinking but really that's mm -hmm. more of a mental illness than it is a way of thinking and we really don't like to be told we only have two choices right so we, by Dan, by god we are going to change that and make it infinite number of choices well and the, the interesting part of that is it's equally as dogmatic to insist that there's infinite number of choices you're, you know, you're not getting better at that. You're, you're saying, no, there are more than two choices. There are an infinite variety or a very extensive variety of choices. Well, that's as dogmatic as asserting there's only two choices. I mean, you can't <laughs> escape dogma. You know, you, and right. what happens is, is they contradict themselves in the very saying of that. To say, well, no, there's many choices is to say it dogmatically. You're, you're giving me an alternative dogma. You're not getting rid of dogma you're just saying nope that dogma isn't it my dogma is it well i didn't want to hijack i mean these were kind of my thoughts from the book we have a couple minutes to go what do you people mm -hmm. what do you hope people will get out of reading this book what when you wrote this book um who was your audience and what do you want them to get after reading this book i think the early chapters are the key ones beyond the first one which is just a brief introduction i think the early chapters about the nature of reason and, and what we can know for truth can be an eye-opener. And I think I moved through that at a, 
because this is kind of thinking about thinking isn't something people do very much, but it's pretty critical given our modern problem. And so once that opens up, I think uh, then a lot of other things open up. And I spend the, the next bunch of chapters dealing with uh, atheism, agnosticism, deism, polytheism, and so on. Getting, you know, this is another one of those way of confronting the world's idea that there are many choices. There are really, really basically six or seven choices when it comes to the existence of God. And so it's pretty easy to go through all of those and point out the flaws in, uh, in the argument and the absence of evidence. So um, I think that's the idea is to get people to understand how to think. And then I use that thinking thing to go into the different possibilities for the existence of God or different opinions there are. And then we move into the Catholic Church and uh, the second half of the book. Well, and I think, again, as I mentioned before, I think the critical thinking is uh, is so important and to think, you know, the right way and understand how to think. But we really do need to get some silence in our life in order to be able to think without all the noise kind of trying to filtering in. So I would suggest people read the book, read it at a slow pace, kind of absorb it, then really understand that you need to spend quiet kind of going through this in your head without some media head or social media or whoever trying to tell you, you know, how you're wrong or how you need to think, because those are actually the knuckleheads The you, the people who try to think are the ones who really are going to end up getting it. Well, and, and I think you're right. The, uh, the idea is and people ask me, well, Frank, when I read the books, like my, my, my advice would be read, you hear a point, close the book. Just think about that. Make sure you're solid on that and and yep. be critical about it because when you come out of that, you will be rock solid, but you do need to take your time. This is one of those, it's a thoughtful book. Um, mm-hmm. you, you approach it like get to the, you know, let me get to page 320 quick and see how fast they can read. You're missing the point. This one's a slow kind of ruminating book. And take your, my advice would be take your time because if you take your time, you're going to really own this. And then you're going to be a very effective and very dangerous person in with your faith and in your life. For it, and you'll be able to be helpful to others and bring them to the same kind of reality in a deep and profound relationship with God. Well, this is put out by Sophia Press. How can people get the book, Frank? Uh, well, you can go right to Sophia uh, Press, but it's also available on Amazon and a variety of other online and uh, bricks and mor- brick and mortar bookstores, Barnes and Noble has it, and so on. So there's many ways to get a hold of this. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.